0: Welcome to another episode of It's Critical. I'm your host Kritika Singh and today we have someone who's an inspiration for me. The passion and love he has for the animals and the environment reflects in everything he does. His life's mission is to help make the world a better place by creating food that is good for people and for the planet. He's been in the food service industry from age 15 and has worked in the entire ecosystem of the industry to now owning up a restaurant. He was the man behind USA's first all-vegan full-service campus cafeteria at the University of North Texas. In his career, he was associated with the Humane Society of the United States farm animal protection team, and while this podcast was recorded, he was also the director of Culinary Programs and Partnerships for Hungry Planet. Currently, he with his wife Sandra have founded a company called Nutrix Taco Shop in Texas. Let's hear more about his journey as we progress in the show. Please welcome Mr. Ken Botts. Oh, thank you so much ken like for joining me today and um You're welcome. uh how are you doing well
1: you know here in the united states the two states that got hit the the hardest were new york city new york and uh, california yeah. uh, specifically los angeles where yeah. i'm at and um, things haven't returned to normal yet, um, you know, and that's been complicated, of course, by the uh, protests that you might have heard about okay. uh, happening here. And so there's a lot going on. I think uh, folks are just frustrated. Um, uh in so many for so many reasons um uh, but right now the uh, protests are dominating the the news yeah. um i think that the covid is probably st- uh, obviously still an issue um it wasn't completely under control before mm-hmm. uh, the protests started um but um there's light at the end of the tunnel And it looks like uh, uh, the protests are calming down and um, hopefully soon and the next month or two, we'll be back to normal life.
0: Definitely. And I I just uh, wish that, you know, everybody around that area and especially in the U.S. at this moment are safe. And uh, having said that, I think uh, uh, for how long have uh, like the lockdown in your area been and are you still at home and uh, it's the physical distancing is still going on there? (laughs)
1: Yes, the physical distancing is still going on. Um, I think people are a little more comfortable uh, with, uh, not using the face mask. Uh, I see some do, some don't, but, you know, I think at this point it's probably a, a respect thing for your neighbors. Uh, if, if you wear a face mask, you're being respectful. Um, and, but yeah, uh, working from home has been uh, part of my life for the last 15 years. Uh, of course, I travel quite a bit, uh, in, in many of the roles that I've had, uh, over the last decade. And, uh, Uh, so being home has really created an opportunity for me to connect and reach out to new friends and and um, expand my network and and really reach out to know other other people Um, exactly how you and I met right on uh, LinkedIn (laughs) and uh, so I think that that uh, everything happens for a reason and uh, I've made the best of this time And uh, I've enjoyed it.
0: The exact thing that was coming in my mind was how you and I connected over LinkedIn, because uh, I think that's uh, one of those productive things that I think I've done uh, during this lockdown. Uh, And having to talk about being at home, uh, since you've been in the food service industry for so long, Ken, do you like cooking?
1: Yes, thank you. I I, I love cooking. Uh, you know, it, I've been in food service since I was 15 years old. And uh, that's been my job. Uh, but I actually enjoy cooking at home, uh, especially uh, being uh, someone who follows a plant based diet. Uh, yes. It's often easier to eat at home than mm-hmm. to eat out. And you you have control over the the type of food that you get, the portions that you provide and, and uh, the nutritional value, Uh, if anything, uh, this week, I'm uh, blessed to have my one of my granddaughters uh, with me and my wife, Sandra, And um, so I'm. I'm passing on the tradition and the love for cooking. My son cooks and uh, so I'm teaching my uh, my granddaughter how to uh, prepare uh, delicious meals. So it's been really great. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, we have an opportunity in our in not only in our our immediate families, but, um, you know, in my career to introduce people to how easy it is to. And eat delicious food and you know in our case and of course the topic of of what we'll be talking about today that yeah. that includes uh, plant-based meals and um, yeah she's excited so this week uh, we're, we're going to a, uh, a little family get together uh, this weekend and so I'm teaching her how to make um, uh, vegan cheese wow. so she's super excited
0: (laughs) like I think if uh, whenever you are putting the recipe online somewhere I would definitely want to look at how you prepare vegan cheese
1: okay yeah for sure
0: and uh, talking about vegan uh, food (laughs) or plant-based diet Ken like you had a long career where you spent a lot of time at the University of North Texas and uh, there was a point where uh, you started something which was very unusual very different and uh, which was, I think, uh, a breakthrough in terms of cafeterias. And uh, it was that you started a whole vegan cafeteria in the university campus. And uh, how did that idea happen to you, Ken? And and when you eventually re- reached that point, how was the response?
1: Sure. Um, it was a great project and one that, you know, kind of redefined the direction of my career. I've been vegetarian since I was 18 years old. And so um, uh, it was my passion project, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't my idea, really. It was the idea of the students at the University of North Texas where I was working. And, you know, I've been following these these trends for um, plant based foods for decades, um, yeah. probably for about 30, 30 plus years. And for the most part, the, the demand for plant-based uh, foods uh, really came from the vegan and vegetarian community. And the response from institutional food service providers like universities uh, was that they were creating this food for that particular demographic. But in 2009, 2010, that that demand started shifting and we were starting to hear words like flexitarian, pescatarian, and what that said to me was that, that students, um, people in general, consumers, were really starting to widen their desire to put more plant-based foods on their plate. And so um, the students are very vocal in most universities. And so we had a lot of students asking for this. We had an um, underperforming uh, cafeteria that we were actually considering closing. Um, there's five cafeterias on that campus. And so um, we, we said to ourselves, well, let's try something new. Let's um, create an all vegan dining hall and um, see what happens. So it took us about three months. Uh, we transformed the interior of the dining hall, and uh, we hired an amazing chef, Wanda White, and she is not a vegan chef, um, and okay. didn't know anything about vegan cooking, um, but together with a lot of cookbooks, um, we were able to put together a menu, and when we launched the dining hall in um, uh, the fall of 2010, we thought it was going to fail, um, because we didn't know, but the exact opposite happened. Within the first three weeks, um, the transactions in that cafeteria skyrocketed uh, three times over what they were originally at. And then that continued to grow exponentially year over year. Um, to this day, it's, uh, it's doing quite well. So, um, And it grabbed a lot of attention from the media um, and around the world. Um, I, I remember receiving phone calls from uh, food service directors at universities in Germany and Australia. Um, so that, that kind of said to me that we did the right thing at the right time. We were ahead of the curve, um, but it really signaled to the rest of the industry that the consumers are ready for this type of food on the plate.
0: And uh, having said that, I think that there were 30 more universities across U.S. who adopted that uh, in their cafeteria and especially for the students who were coming into those universities. So how did it make you feel when you see that, you know, on a – at least on a country level, there were thirty more institutes who were following your footstep and what you had started at one of these universities.
1: Yeah, the transition uh, into my work with the Humane Society uh, was was exciting because um, one of the uh, when we opened up the vegan dining hall, the Humane Society had reached out to me and asked if uh, I would I would volunteer to help them, uh, introduce plant-based cuisine to other universities. And so by the time I became a full-time, um, employee of, of the humane society of the United States, uh, we, we were already moving forward with introducing that type of cuisine to other universities. And so, um, it, it you know, it, 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 it was the signal, you know, when one person does it and it works, then mm. the, the the rest of the folks want to, to pursue that same success. Mm. And so the first university that I actually worked with once I joined the Humane Society was Harvard, um, known around the world. And um, they wanted to lead the charge, if you will, on... um, Uh, plant-based cuisine and they they wanted to put more of uh, plants on the plate and so i worked with the very talented chef there uh, martin breslin and um, we put together a two-day culinary training program Uh, chef wanda who i worked with at the university and who ran the vegan dining hall uh, came on board with me at hsus and um, we just started training, uh, uh, university starting with Harvard. And then others heard about our work and this program was free. We called it forward food. And, um, by the end of the first year, we had introduced it to about 30 universities. The second year the program doubled. And by the time I left the HSUS in uh, 2014, uh, we had trained over 700 institutions around the world, um, and introduced plant-based, uh, cuisine to over, over 7,000 uh, food, food service professionals. So it um, became quite successful.
0: That's uh, an amazing number, to be honest, Ken, because uh, it's it only shows how we are moving in a direction where people are not only transitioning, but people are also at a stage where they are ready and willing to give plant-based diet a chance. And uh, as you likely said, uh, to add more plants on their plate.
1: Yeah, so while we were doing the 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 culinary training for the Humane Society, um, we took a whole foods plant based approach, and it would show chefs how they could create um, delicious food using uh, whole ingredients. But you know, our culture, most of our cultures, um, uh, dictate that there's something on the center of the plate, and that something has traditionally been meat. And so, yeah, and so um, the chefs starting started asking you know, what do you have that's like meat that we could prepare and present? And so uh, I looked around and you know of course I wanted to stay with something that had a healthy profile and um, so I found this company Hungry Planet and um, they what I liked about them uh, and what attracted me to go to work with them was that they, they created a product that was not only healthy, um, but it tasted great and it wasn't just burgers. I mean, who just eats hamburgers every day? <laughs> um, so they, they, uh, actually only worked with, the uh, food service. Um, and so they, they did ground type products like ground chicken, ground pork, ground beef, um, and some other ingredients, um, that were healthy profile, very clean labeled and super lean. So just like a, an animal meat product, it yeah. Um, this this hungry planet plant-based meat uh, actually is a one-to-one substitution for animal meat. So as a chef or a dietitian, I don't have to change anything in that recipe. If I just want to make um, a, a chicken-based dish, I can swap the animal chicken for the Hungry Planet plant-based chicken and um, and and cook it and serve it. So it made it made it easy. And so we would we would bring Hungry Planet out to our culinary trainings at the Humane Society and um, have them demonstrate their product. And the chefs really liked it. Um, so that's really what helped uh, me get introduced to Hungry Planet and ultimately, um, go to work with them, um,
0: I must say that, you know, this is a big uh, initiative, and especially for someone like you who has this responsibility of making sure that they introduce uh, the right kind of plant-based food to other university. at least at that point, what you were doing. And uh, especially when you bring someone like Hungry Planet, the main question then becomes, uh, how did the university respond to something like that? And how open were they to look at a meat alternative like Hungry Planet?
1: yeah you know meat alternatives have been around for decades um and of course they they aren't as good as the ones that we have now um you know i grew up on uh, Boca burgers and uh uh morning star farms you know the the frozen burgers that uh didn't taste so great uh, they're better now um but the difference between the the plant-based meats that we're saying come to market now versus what, what uh, I grew up on is that, that the vegetarian and vegan community is not the target market. Um, If you know, going back to my, my roots at the university of North Texas, it's the, the folks that are just trying to eat less meat, um, animal meat because of, of uh, health reasons, or they care about the environment or they might care about animals. And so um, these new burger companies These new meat companies Are really targeting meat eaters That are, are eating less of it For those reasons And so um, the universities Were looking for it um, They wanted it um, But I think the struggle For the plant-based meat industry Is that they're competing against um, Here in the United States What we call subsidized commodities Where the U.S. government Actually gives money to the farmers To keep um, animal meat cheap um, inexpensive, whereas the plant-based meats, um, their ingredients are more expensive. And so the universities kind of struggle with the price point. So they're getting creative on how they put that on the menu. Um, but the demand is there. And so as the demand increases, I think we'll see the price come down, but universities, hospitals, um, everybody's uh, trying to put that on the plate.
0: Um, that's an interesting take because, you know, half of the time when we think about uh, plant-based meat, and at least even here in India, when I talk to my friends about plant-based meat, uh, the first question they ask me is, why would I take a um, plant-based alternative when there are at the same price? So... Uh, Uh, what is it like like when we compare how meat is being prepared and how meat is being processed and the kind of energy water and resources that it consumes to uh, give you say beef and uh, for that matter when you on the other hand see a plant-based alternative or a hungry planet meat how much of a difference it is in terms of the impact it has on the environment
1: yeah, the impact is huge. And I think that's um, one of the biggest drivers that I've uh, experienced over the years that um, why people are are sw- uh, swatching, switching sorry, to um, plant-based meat. Um, you know, the impact of factory farming, um, uh, farm-raised animals uh, in the way that we do it now, which is about 99%, 95% of our different numbers of, of how animals are raised, yeah. Um the environment in such a negative way. Um, you know, the, for example, with water, it takes uh, 2,500 plus gallons of water to produce one pound of beef. Um, and I live in a state uh, here in California where water is scarce and, we're one of the largest beef providers uh, in the country, and so um, you know it's it's important to be concerned about that. Um, and then there's the you know the, um, the 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 gases that are given off by that industry, not just in the animals being raised, but the the food, the soy crops, the wheat crops that are used to feed those animals. So when you calculate that, um, the impact of animal agriculture on the environment um, is is larger in scale than that of the entire transportation industry cars trains planes um, and these are World health organization um, numbers that we're working with and so you know while the while the animal meat industry is is gonna you know try to figure out a way to spin those numbers to where it looks good for them the reality is that it's not good for our environment and then there's the land use as well so um you know that that's the main driver behind why people are swapping to um, um the Mm plant-based meats when you when you drill down and look at the cost of these meats um, the price parity is is um is higher and so when, when I'm working with plant-based meats um, and trying to introduce those to an institution, you know, I kind of equate it to the, to the uh, premium meats, like uh, a grass-fed, you know, here in the United States, grass-fed beef is a big deal. Um, It's more expensive. It's a premium product. And, and so is um, plant-based meat and the price point's not that much different than a premium animal meat product. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the marketing Behind what we do now with the plant-based meats, but ultimately, as the price comes down, and I think all of these plant-based meat um, manufacturers uh, are working to figure out a way to make the price come down, um, we'll see more consumers adopt it because consumers are price sensitive. When something goes up, they buy less of it. You mm. know, part of that is driven by their household incomes, and part of that is driven by the value and the experience that they receive by purchasing something that costs more.
0: The word meat is a uh something that can be a keyword to our discussion at the moment and uh, I've been reading and going through a lot of uh, social media posts especially where uh, I'm doing sentiment analysis taking out positive negative and neutral emotions around uh, meat and uh, when we talk about plant-based meat uh, consumers especially non-vegans have this tendency where they are questioning why are we calling it meat and uh, I I I'd like to ask the same question to you, Ken. Uh, why do you think it, or is it fair to call plant-based substitutes as meat?
1: Yeah, you know like you, um it's it's something that I've been doing quite a bit of research on over the last uh, couple years. Um you know because growing up I just referred to the to the these um uh, meat analogs as uh, we call them in the food industry, um these meat analogs as uh, burgers or nuggets or you know uh, patties. So um I think now as consumers are trying to figure out exactly what this is and why they should put it on the plate Um, in my opinion i I believe it's fair that we refer to this as uh uh, meat and but i think it's important for consumer distinction that we refer to it and as i do um, refer to it as what it is um, plant-based meat or soy meat or uh, nut meat Um, this has been part of our vocabulary for many years Um, i'm doing some work right now with the um the walnut um the walnut uh, uh council here in california and they take walnuts and convert it into a meat uh, if you will so they use the nut meat so um consumers are smart though you know um even if we don't call it meat um you know or in the the case of dairy yeah. you know uh what do we call soy milk do we call it milk um or soy alternative um, I don't think it's an alternative to anything. I think it is what it is. So let's call it what it is. Plant-based meat is how I refer to it. Uh, animal meat, um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's probably going to be other kinds of meat in the future. And uh, I, I think, you know, putting that tag on the beginning is, it so it, yeah, I, I think it's fair to call it meat. Um, but in my mind, having been vegetarian vegan for most of my life um when i hear the word meat i have a negative connotation (laughs) and i don't want to eat it i think think it's
0: the same with all of us who have transitioned to a vegan or a plant-based diet that the moment we hear mm -hmm. the word meat it suddenly has a negative uh, connotation attached to it yeah And uh, Ken, having, like, we've been talking about being vegan and having a plant based lifestyle. Uh, What helped you or what made you transition into a plant based uh, lifestyle or a vegan lifestyle for that matter?
1: when i was younger i was uh, very active i did competitive martial arts uh and and so i was always looking at a way to improve my performance um i was also very in touch with the environment back then and i had read a book when i was uh, 18 years old back in the 80s uh called diet for a small planet by francis marlapay and that book uh is really um, um kind of historical and monumental in the sense that. It it, it introduced the world to the word uh, in environmental vegetarianism. And it made the connection for me on the impact of my food choices uh, on, the, on the environment. And that was important to me. And so I embraced that. Um, I changed my diet, uh, not perfectly at first. I think the first time I, I, I tried, I ate a lot of vegetables and forgot about the protein. Um, so I had to redo it once or twice, but eventually I got it right. And, um, that, 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 uh, made me feel better. My, um, uh, perf- my athletic performance increased and improved. Um, and even to this day, you know, I'm now I'm 58 years old and, and I'm proud of it. Um, yeah, I ride a skateboard. I go running, you know, I can hang out with my grandkids, um, because I embrace that that healthier lifestyle, uh, at a very young age. And so, uh, it's, it's helped me age well and, um, I can still go running. I can still do marathons. And so for me, it was about environmentalism. It was about that book diet for a small planet. And I still think that that is a great book that, uh, can encourage people to go in that direction for that reason.
0: That was a very Interesting to know, Ken, and especially because like while you were saying I was just somehow uh, having an image of uh, an energy booster advertisement running on the TV. And I was just thinking maybe if someone from, you know, those advertising campaigns listen to this podcast, they'll definitely be coming for you to get you on board for their next advertisement. (laughs) <laughs> i'm ready again <laughs> uh before we go ahead uh there are a few questions i would like to ask you and it's a small rapid fire round uh kind of like the word association test or the word uh-huh. association jumble by carl young um i am into psychology and i'm an aspiring social science researcher so this is just a small way of you know putting in uh A mix of psychology into the picture of what we're doing here. So if you're ready, I'll just ask you, I'll just give you a word. And in return, you'll have to associate it. Probably give me a phrase or a line, whatever works for you. I'm ready. So the first word is frogs. Cats. Sustainability. Earth. Need. What was it? Need. Need.
1: Need happiness. Meat. food. Desire love.
0: Money rich. Want want. Yes. Desire. All right, Ken. And now the last one, Ken.
1: Ken uh love
0: <laughs> that was nice <laughs> <laughs> that was- <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I know I used a couple of them twice but yeah yeah um no, that's
0: completely yeah. fine and I like how you described Ken in, in one word and that was love because to be honest um uh, I cannot thank you enough first to uh especially uh, agreeing to come on board with my uh, podcast and at the time when I was just planning and uh, at the time when I really didn't have anyone on board and I you were the first one I reached out to I spoke to you and I decided I want to do this podcast while I was talking to you I just gave you a rough structure and plan of it and you were so you were so motivating enough to give me that push and to say that whatever I'm going to do is brilliant and I should take it forward. And thank you so much for everything that you've done for me here and for also coming on board Ken. If not for you, I don't think I would be here today uh, sitting and having a discussion with you and doing this podcast with all the other guests I'm going to.
1: Oh, that, that, that brings joy to my heart. You know, I, I remember back about a year and a half ago, I, uh, two, two and a half years ago now, I, I spoke at a conference in Germany uh, to, to 60 NGOs from around the world. And in my presentation, you know, I, I felt a sense of responsibility to create a call of action. And that call of action was for us to all continue to go big. Um, but as the older generation gets older, um, we have to help the seeds grow you <laughs> Uh, that we planted uh, in our lives and so it's a it's it's almost um a responsibility I, I i hold highly that uh we have to pass that torch and encourage the next generation to continue the work that we've done so it doesn't go away and that we can have the impact that that we want to have and so i appreciate the opportunity uh to uh help you um make that leap into podcasting and i uh, I can't wait to uh, see what you do with this this new opportunity that's in front of you. I think you're going to do an awesome job.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, I genuinely mean it. Thank you so much. And, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> Moving ahead, Ken, there are just a couple of more questions. And uh, the next one is about a recent article that was there in the New York York Times. And it talked about how majority of the areas in the United States which are affected by coronavirus, COVID-19, are in the areas where major meat uh, companies have their slaughterhouse operations going on. So... Having said that, there is also articles around floating around the internet right now where uh, it's, they're talking about how the US consumer is becoming aware and uh, they are trying to transition or looking at the alternatives for meat. So, according to you, what is the consumer sentiment like, Ken?
1: Yeah, so I think anything protein on the shelves during COVID nineteen uh, was pretty much fair game. Um, you know, I remember going to the market even today. Uh, now we're what two months into this yeah. this crisis, um, it's difficult to find dry beans on the on the uh, on the shelves at the market. So um, people care about protein. Obviously, they should. Um, and there are, are statistics that were increasing um, the amount of plant-based meat that folks were consuming um, prior to COVID. Um, but then looking at the numbers during COVID, um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, the the food security, you know, the, the um, cleanliness of of these plants um, or lack of cleanliness, and in, in this case, um, has really Opened up the eyes of the American consumer to um, the impact that this, these uh, animal proteins, these animal meats have on on their health. And as as um, consumers unpack what happens behind the scenes, not only uh, on the cruelty of, of how the animals are, are handled, but also on the cleanliness or lack of cleanliness in these these meat plants, um, they're realizing that this initially potentially is the source of, of a lot of our health problems. And it is, I mean, we know that 80% of of all the health uh, issues in the United States is directly related to the consumption or overconsumption of meat. Um, I think we can also add, um, you know, this uh, COVID-19 or any of the other animal related outbreaks of, of different viruses uh, to these meat packing plants. And so it's it's not a clean industry and we really need to be concerned about that. And I think consumers are figuring that out now.
0: And honestly, Ken, at the same time, like you said, that it is not, not just COVID-19. Uh, to be honest, I was recently reading about how the African swine flu is also uh, creating a kind of a pandemic impact at the moment, but we are We are sadly at this moment ignoring that fact. And uh, swine flu is also one of those, uh, 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 I think, disease, I would say, which which has a lot of negative impact, not just on the animals who are suffering with it, but also the entire industry. Talking about the US, uh, where you said that even the beans were out of stock. In India, on the other hand, uh, like the last time I went out for uh, grocery shopping, uh, I saw something which was... I At one point, I laughed about it, but also something that made me think about how situations make people change. And that was a meat store selling a meat shop selling vegetables like they had. They were just selling vegetables out there. And that was funny for me to see that, you know, it's a meat shop while they're selling vegetables. But it was also I don't somewhere. I think I was very happy to see that.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're probably familiar with uh, a, a couple of uh, different uh, independent companies storefronts that have started in the United States that actually are um, look like butcher shops, you know, delis, um, but they uh, they slice uh, plant based meats. So I, I think that uh, there's going to come a day where, uh, yeah, vegetables might be a little more prominent at the meat counter.
0: And and I would love to. I'm I'm waiting for that day because I then wouldn't have to go around searching. For a place where I can actually eat peacefully without thinking, oh my god, am I going to get meat on my plate, or is it actually going to be plant? So yeah.
1: Well, you know, something like that happened to me recently here in the states. You know, a lot of our fast food chains are are using um, uh, the plant based burgers, and I went to one of the 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 burger chains uh, to get a plant based burger, and uh, I always take my burger apart. And uh, I opened it up and, and it was, it was real meat. So, oh. you know, I, I guess that's a testament to how, how real uh, this meat is starting to look now.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I, for a, for a moment, I was like, oh my God, did you actually get real meat or was it plant based meat? But yeah.
1: No, it was real. So I sent it back, but yeah, uh, I caught it. Um, you gotta be careful. <laughs>
0: For sure. And uh, Ken, like when we are talking about how the US in the US people are trying to transition and move towards a more plant based diet, they're becoming more conscious in terms of their health and eating habit. Uh, On the other hand, in India, especially, uh, people are becoming more inclined towards uh, Western uh, style of eating. Sure, there is a part of the country where people are actually uh, looking at being more fit looking at better food habits and uh, but at at the same time there are people who are majorly consuming meat based diet so how do you think uh, a company like hungry planet can actually come on board and then probably launch in india
1: yeah, from from a timing standpoint, the timing is probably right, because as, as you know, and this is happening around the world in Singapore, um, in the UK and Canada, Mexico, um, you know, as we've been effective uh, uh, here in the United States with the, um, uh, the impact that we've had on encouraging institutions to use less animal meat, um, they're looking for other markets. And so they're 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 looking at India, they're looking at China, they're looking at other markets to explore and sell um, American meat. And so part of that, because they have a lot of money to market to those, uh, those countries is the, um, they're going to start to encourage people to make that connection between um, affluence uh, and, and the ability to purchase meat and make that a positive thing. It's like, I have more money now, so I can afford to eat animal meat. Um, And, and because that market uh, still, I think, cares about the environment, still cares about their health, um, insert plant-based meat, um, so as that demand um, by the consumer increases for more meat on the plate, plant-based meat just becomes a, you know, an option for them um, to, to encourage them to eat healthier. So um, it's going to be a different dynamic, I think, than in the past where, where the, um, the meat industries have been successful in encouraging the Western diet uh, in, in, in these cultures. Um, it's a dangerous diet. And, you know, and the, the disease that's associated with it, uh, heart disease, stroke, type two diabetes, um, a, a, obesity, um, it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's a lot of NGOs um, out there uh, globally, I know of that, that are already starting to have the conversation with consumers that, you know, this is not a good way to eat.
0: True. And of- Again, now coming to India, there's another factor which I think will play a big role in terms of whichever uh, company is planning to introduce plant-based meat in India. Uh, majority of the people, more than 70% of the population in India resides in the rural areas. So in that case, uh, how do you see, and these, mind you, these people are some, some of them especially eat meat only once a week. And in that case, uh, in India, especially where dairy is even more prominent than meat, uh, how do you see these companies then eventually planning to eventually reach out to people in these areas? Or are they even looking at, to be honest, in the first place, at least at this moment?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's... As I've learned more about the plant-based meat space uh, in joining Hungry Planet, um, a lot of the, the plant-based meat companies have a, um, um, you know, an, a, a philanthropic um, arm of what they do um, because they do truly want to help make the world a better place. And so um, in the case of Hungry Planet, they actually subsidize um, or pay for the meat to go into like our K through 12 schools. Um, so they don't make a profit. Um, from that. And, and so certainly I think that um, companies as if that's, what they truly want to do. And they truly want to have an impact on the planet. They're going to have to look at that population and figure out a way um, to get the product to those, those people, because in a lot of countries, that's the largest portion of the population. Um, you're not going to have that impact if you just work with the influent markets, you know, the mm-hmm. affluent markets um, and the affluent consumers. So, um, you know, I think that then lends itself to, you know, a plant-based meat in the diet versus a whole foods plant based diet, which is more affordable. Um, you know, I, I'm not a consumer, a large consumer of plant based meats. Um, I eat them from time to time, but for the most part, my diet is much like you probably eat with the, um, you know, I, I think I shared with you my favorite Indian dish is chana masala. I could yeah, eat that every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and it cost me pennies to make versus putting a plant based burger between two pieces of bread which might cost me three or four dollars um so you know um nutritionally i'm better off with the chickpeas um convenience wise yeah it's it's easy to throw a burger on the grill um so i, I think ultimately that's going to be dictated by the consumers but
0: uh, now moving on from hungry planet i think uh, ken as we speak it's uh, your last week in hungry planet and by the time the podcast will be out you'll be doing something new and something more exciting and uh, i and uh, having to know a bit about your work what's it like for your you in the future from here
1: Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always been in restaurants. Um, You know, I I love, I love the restaurant industry. Um, About uh, the last uh, decade and a half or so of my career, I went into institutional food service. And then of course with the humane society, Um, but now it's, it's time to go back. And um, so my wife and I have this dream to open a restaurant. Um, it's not my first restaurant. I, I actually back in the nineties uh, owned a couple of restaurants. And so it's, it's, just something that I enjoy and it's, it's how I want to retire. So uh, we're going to be launching a, uh, a restaurant concept called Nutrix taco shop. Um, I've been um, planning it for about two years now, and uh, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, we're going to open it up in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where, um, you know, again, full circle where I opened the vegan dining hall at the university of North Texas and um, it's it's going to be Mexican food uh, traditional Mexican food uh, but all the ingredients are going to be plant-based we're not going to use any of the the plant-based meats it's going to be a whole foods plant-based approach Um, so mushrooms nuts and seeds uh, you know cheese maybe chickpeas chickpeas yeah chickpea chorizo is one of the meats if you will that we're going to use so it's going to be very exciting so um you know Mex- mexican food living in southern california has been a part of my um menu for many many years uh, it's something i personally enjoy and i'm excited uh, my wife and i are excited to be able to introduce uh, this food in a non-traditional way to the marketplace so it's going to be super exciting
0: well ken all the best for it and i'm i'm sure that you know you're going to do an amazing job there because it's something you love it's a passion project and uh, i hope uh, and uh, i'm sure all the (laughs) students at your vegan cafeteria would be excited to come join you and you know have a bite of the taco that you're specially making and uh, i would like to also know how did this idea come to you uh you know, of starting your own uh, chain. And uh, how do you think it became possible for you? What were the hurdles, if there were any, in terms of getting where you are right now?
1: Yeah, you know... um for the, for the first, uh, 10 years of, of my institutional food service experience, I worked with a uh, Sodexo, which is a large, uh, f- uh, food service provider around the world. And, um, my role, my job there was to help them open retail locations. And so I can't even count how many restaurants, uh, independent restaurants, uh, and chain restaurants I've opened in my career, just on the university campuses. And so, um, You know, I I wanted to do a passion product project, like you said, uh, that matched what I love to eat, uh, because I think to be successful, you have to be passionate about it. And um, combine that with my desire for introducing uh, better food to the to the community that I serve um, and then you know just being influenced by Mexican food uh, growing up so it's it's kind of a, a mash of all of my all of my um, um, passions together um, you should always do what you're good at and what I've always been good at is restaurants and so um, yeah that that's really what born the idea my wife I don't, I don't even remember the name that I called it when I I was uh, thinking about the idea, but my wife actually came up with the name NutriX, and she said, "What about new tricks?" I go, well, "What's what's the reference?" And she said, "Well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks." I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, saying. <laughs> and yes, yes. so it's a you know NutriX Taco Shop is a is a you know a new twist on on a traditional cuisine. So that's that's kind of the idea behind it.
0: And honestly, like you know, like you said, new tricks, it to start with, as soon as you pronounce it, at times people might all might also think it's nutritional, like you know, it's re- somewhere related to nutrition as well. So I think it's also going to uh, say it out loud for you because absolutely, plant based diet is nutritional, plant based diet is at least for me it's the future and i think I've, how the stats and the references look like it sure is the future food so i mean I'm, i wish you all the best for this project and i hope that once whenever i'm there i definitely get to try one of new tricks taco <laughs> uh
1: thank you yeah I, I would love to cook for you
0: so ken thank you so much for being on board i think um Uh, If I go on asking you questions, I know I will not stop here. Uh, But Mm. we've covered a lot of things around the plant-based diet, about how consumers are shifting towards a more uh, environment-friendly or health-conscious diet, uh, especially plant-based diet. And at the same time, we also talked about that slight issue that you also thought of, which is protein. And uh, in the future, hopefully, I'll have someone... From the diet section or the nutrition side, who will talk about uh, protein, so that we can also help our listeners to understand how that happened. But as one last question, uh, did you were you able to solve your protein uh, doubts that you had back then? <sighs>
1: Yeah. You know, um, I think of some research that I read um, about uh, protein and consumers, um, you know, most people get too much protein, if that's such a thing. And so, you know, what we should really be concerned about is how much fiber are we getting, right? Because there's no, there's no fiber in the the animal protein. So um, I think that's the bigger issue. But, you know, as far as protein is concerned, you know, I look at this plate of food that I'm eating, broccoli has protein beans have protein rice has protein um if i calculate how much protein i'm getting in a plate of food that i would eat um i'm getting more than i need so that's never really been a concern of mine um you know i'm i'm, I'm healthy and fit um i'm strong and um yeah protein it's it's there if you if you you know really plan your food correctly um it's it's abundant in our diets no matter where we are And, um, you know, we just need to change the way we think about how we get that protein.
0: Thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights and your experiences with us, uh, Ken. And I'm sure my listeners uh, would have got a lot of interesting facts and also things to go back and look about, whether it's plant-based diet, whether it's protein, or whether it's about new tricks tra- taco I think I'll have to edit this and pronounce it again. But thank you so much for uh, being on board, Ken. And it was it was a great experience talking to you.
1: Uh, It was a pleasure speaking with you too. And thank you for all you're doing and all you're going to do. You're going to be uh, doing some amazing work.
0: Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you for listening, guys. If you'd like to know more about Ken, you can either go to his LinkedIn profile and connect with him the LinkedIn description is in the uh, description box below. And it will also be there on the article that we are going to put on www.itskritikal.com. To follow him on Instagram, you can go and follow at the rate K-E-N-B-O-T-T-S. It's Ken Bots. And uh, to follow New Tricks Taco Shop on Instagram, you can visit the handle at the rate N-E-W-T-R-I-C-K-S-T-A-C-O-S it's at the rate new tricks tacos you can also visit www.newtrickstacoshop.com which is www.newtricksshop.com uh you can visit all these links also in the article that we are going to write and um, to know more about it's critical you can either visit our website or You can also visit our social media handles to keep updated. Uh, Our social media handle on Instagram is at the rate I-T-S-K-R-I-T-I-K-A-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And on Twitter, it's at the rate I-T-S-K-R-I-T-I-K-A-L-P-O-D. For any queries or any feedback that you may have, you can write to me at uh, I-T-S-K-R-I-T-I-K-A-L at gmail.com. And if you'd like to become a Patreon, the link is again in the description below. Happy listening!